Welcome to From the Resort Podcast, episode 12. Uh, it's a lovely sunny day. It's Friday the 19th of February 2021. Um, and uh, we, today we have a, a guest who is a bit like myself, I guess, in a way, but he's the New Zealand version, but potentially, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, Daniel Gibbons of Findex, uh, who is a tax expert, uh, international tax a, a bit as well, uh, been in the industry probably longer than I have. So uh, welcome along to the podcast, Daniel. No, thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and Daniel and I first, uh, I think, met um, actually by chance a couple of years ago when I was sort of holidaying and looking at the place and I was sort of trying to, I guess, find accountants in the area that uh, that we might be able to sort of, um, I guess, talk to when we moved and, and Daniel sort of agreed to meet us at the Exchange um, Cafe just around the corner from here. So uh, that was, I guess, when we first met and then two years after that, um, obviously made the move. And uh, here we are now, and um, I, I guess I'm engaging Daniel uh, and his company in the services to sort of assist with uh, uh, the New Zealand side of, um, I guess, my, my accounting. So um, learning a lot from Daniel. Thank you very much. Uh, so Daniel, I guess where we start these podcasts, a bit, bit of background information. Uh, whereabouts uh, were you born, and uh, where, where did you sort of grow up early in life, and what did you get up to? Yeah, sure thing. Um, so yeah, thanks again. Um, so yeah, I grew up in a place called, uh, I got. I was born in a place called Whakatane, up in the Bay of Plenty of the North Island of New Zealand. Um, it's a pretty cool place to grow up, um, plenty of beaches, and um, that's where my dad spent a lot of his life as well. Um, and so I was born up there, um, and we lived there for quite a few years. Um, spent a lot of time um, at a Hopi Beach, which was my favourite beach in New Zealand. Um, fantastic place if you ever want to try one of our great beaches. Um, and then after a few years, we sort of moved around a bit. Um, so Dad was a, a sparky, so an auto electrician by trade, and it took him to a place called Cambridge, which is another great place, a very popular place now. Um, now Cambridge, is that, that's not too far outside Hamilton, is it? That's close, yeah, very close to that. So sort of between that and Matter Matter. Yep. Um, and so it's very, very green, a lot of horses, um, which is attracting a lot of, a lot of people. Um, so they've done yeah, quite a nice wee place over there. Um, so I lived there for a few years, and um, that's where my brother was born. Moved back to Pakatane um, for a few years when my sister was born. Um, and then then the parents decided to change their careers, and so um, Dad wanted to go farming, so went dairy farming. Um, and so we sort of moved away from my grandparents and my cousins, and they went down to um, to a few different farms in the Waikato. So pretty same back to where Cambridge was, but certain different areas around there. Um, and so we did that for the next four years. We lived on three different farms, so we moved around quite a bit. Um, so it was hard to sort of get settled, but you sort of became quite adaptable. And it was a really great life, really. You living in this quite warm climate, but you had these farms and your back, you know, your backdrops, and you can go and exploring. And, and Dad was always around on the farm, so it was, it was a really enjoyable time. Um, and so we did that for quite a few years. And then when I was about 10, we, um, we moved down to the South Island. Um, so there was a farming opportunity for them down in, a pla- in South Otago. So we moved just out of um, Balclutha. So it's a local town Balclutha, there. Balclutha, yep. mm-hmm. um, And so we lived there for many years. And so a lot of my high school schooling was done there. Um, and so by that stage, actually, when I time went to high school, Dad had decided to finish on farming, and he, he actually combined his careers and worked um, installing milking sheds for a company. And mm. so we were um, we were living in, in town, really close to the to the school. Mm. Um, and so Backlothar was a, a great place to grow up. Really, it was you know four and a half thousand people, mm. um, quite a good community. Um, you're very independent as a as a kid because you could walk and bike everywhere. Um, 
and so we yeah, great friends and, and got up to a bit of mischief and nothing too major and, and um, we could do everything we wanted to do so um, whether it be sport or, or otherwise so um, yeah so did that for many years until, until high school finished and off to university. So some of the sports that you sort of uh, got up to as a teenager that you can you remember the ones that what you sort of got up to there and any other hobbies? Yeah, sure. So probably the one that's been uh, forefront for my life um, throughout has been cricket. Um, mm-hmm. So cricket's been my number one sport. I've been playing as early as I remember. Um, Dad coached me for many, many years, um, mm-hmm. and I was lucky enough to get into sort of representative level, um, so sort of Otago country level. Um, so good, not fantastic, but good. Um, Preferred batting or bowling or both? Um, I was mostly a batter, but I'd... I'd Giving in San Otago, I saw one of the main players, so I learned how to bowl pretty pretty well as for a few periods um, there, but mainly a, mainly a batter. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so I did a lot of sort of opening the batting or top three sort of thing. Um, and that was great. You know, we've I now play cricket now or coach mostly, but um, mm. the players in Queenstown is quite funny that I've just played a competition where I've probably played with three people I played with, against or with back when I was you know, 10, 11 years old. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of them still live locally, which is great. And so, yeah, so that was, cricket was probably my main passion, and it's one that's sort of been passed on to my son. Um, and so I've your, been, so your, your children play, or he plays cricket? Yeah, yeah, so he's played cricket all the way through, so um, he's um, just taken off to go to Polytech, so he's just finished, but I've been, so I've been enjoying that, and I've really taken on to coaching, so mm. coaching's been one thing I've really enjoyed. So I've coached him throughout, um, and I've just finished um, as the head coach of um, the first 11 here. And... Um, <coughs> At Wakatuba High School, so that's been a really enjoyable stage of my um, cricketing stuff, and some of get heavily involved locally. I'm the president of the cricket club, and get involved with a whole range of stuff there. So it certainly takes me out and about. Um, mm. but yeah, so fair to say, cricket was pretty pretty prominent in those throughout my life so far. So um, then after high school, uni, um, so Otago University. Yeah, so we um, we moved up to um, to Otago to Dunedin, yep. um, did Otago University where I did um, law degree in commerce. So yep. did those two together, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, so that was good fun. Um, so we were actually that stage. My wife, um, we got married during that period. Um, you were married very young, didn't you? Oh, very young. Yeah. So we're, um, yeah. Well, I was kind of one of those people. Some people say you're really young, but if you know, you know, sort of thing. So um, I knew she was one of the marriers, so, yeah, so she was pretty, well, I'm not sure she's so happy these days. <laughs> no, she's pretty good. No, she, um, so, yeah, so we got married pretty young. We had a we had a, our boy during that time as well. So we um, so university for life was very different. You know, we were raising um, raising a son. Um, well, sort well, of trying learning, to graduate. Going to graduate. And so both of us did double degrees during that time and, Wow. Um, what sort of degrees did she do? So she did teaching and commerce. So she's okay. a so sort of economic teacher. Yeah, um, okay. is her training. So yeah, so it was quite. We kind of you know collaborated a lot, which was quite yeah. good. Um, but yeah, so it was quite a fun time really. We had a sort of kind of like a village baby. He kind of just got looked after by parents, or <laughs> we had a class. He was going to get looked after by a couple of our um, our mates who were in a flat nearby and stuff like that. So he kind of had a really cool experience as a kid. I think sort of hanging out with a lot of adults or young adults and. Yeah. You come back and he'd be playing on the PlayStation, or he'd be mm. playing a game back out cricket and stuff like that. And so he's got yeah, cool connections from that period as well. Mm. So yes, that was about five years of our life in Dunedin, and I think you know we didn't have a lot of money, but I think Dunedin sort of opportun- gave an opportunity where you can actually live and have a good life yep. without a lot. Mm. Um, so it was really really enjoyable time. Excellent. No, it's so um, so obviously then 
you obviously had had a good grounding to sort of go into a few different careers when you do like a law and commerce degree that you could go a lot of different ways you can get more involved in being a lawyer down that sort of path um, lots of things you can do with commerce as you know um, and obviously accounting when I was sort of coming through the ranks that was something that just appealed to me because of uh, I was interested you know I was good with numbers generally and uh, maths you know at high school so that sort of was appealing what was appealing about the career choices that you made yeah, well, you're exactly right. We had um, so many opportunities with law and um, and commerce. You can go so many different ways. Um, I think I found out pretty quickly I didn't want to be a lawyer who was in court. I quite liked the, and I very much liked business. I, uh, I knew I wanted to sort of help businesses and how you can help them do what they needed to do. Um, and so I sort of, and I actually had an opportunity. I actually got a scholarship with the, this firm effectively. And a precursor firm was called Taylor McLaughlin at the time, and they sort of, um, I think they had, they had a, a, in the paper, they had a class act thing from high school where if you were, um, each school nominated two people they felt was all around a certain, you know, a good student, what have you. And so I got nominated for that from our school, and they sort of found me there and, and offered me a job in their firm. And so it was, it was an accounting job, um, and I got paid a bit of money throughout high school for university, which was really useful and, and a bit of experience. And, but I quickly found out also I didn't want to go straight into accounting. I really enjoyed the legal aspect of the law degree. I really enjoyed the arguing, the well, not so much arguing, but the formulating of opinions and, the, and I suppose that aspect of it. And so it really dovetailed well to, after a few years of sort of going down that line, um, I had a meeting with um, my boss at the time, Scott Mason, and he suggested I go into tax and said, look, if you're really interested in this, this is what we do. And so... He ended up actually, by the time we had, we had a pretty big team in Dunedin and we would have had probably half lawyers, half accountants because tax in many respects is looking at legislation and finding out what you know where you fit within a definition and then you sort of overlay that with numbers. I really enjoyed numbers and what they meant and what story they told. Yep. Um, I really enjoy how structures work together. It's probably a big part of what I enjoy the most is getting yep. the right structure right yep. for clients and yep. mm-hmm. make sure it works for them. Yep. Um, and everyone's different. different. Um, and so, yeah, it just seemed to be a natural fit and started doing it and loved it. So um, probably people would say you do tax and it sort of feels like it's a bit of a, why would you want to do that? But when you actually break it down, what you're really doing is just helping people with their businesses and helping them to go as good as they can mm. um, and making sure they've got a structure that works for them, um, making sure they don't fall into any holes. Um, the reality is there are, there are holes. Um, <clears throat> and to be honest, what has been quite... You know, quite enjoyable over that time is pretty much 99% of people that don't mind paying their fair share of tax and so you're working with good people who want to do the right thing but they want to make sure they're you know it's in the end of the day tax is a cost and they want to make sure they're paying their fair share but not not any more than they need to but in the end it's it's more than that you know it's, you really are helping businesses and that's what what appealed to me the most mm. so that obviously started out at Dunedin so tell me about the transition to finally get to um, Queenstown or when did that sort of start and when did you sort of start thinking about Queenstown as being the, the place for you? Well, it's quite funny because I didn't... Queenstown never really was on the radar in many respects for me. Um, it was... I've, I can't myself very lucky that we sort of fallen into it in a way. Um, so we were... So I'd be, what, um, good five or so years into my career in Dunedin and 
I was sort of at that point where you sort of, you know, by that stage you've been in Dunedin about 10 years, and Dunedin's a great place, but mm. we sort of felt like we just wanted to experience something a bit different. Yeah. So, we, you know, we sort of looked over the over the Tasman, see if anything in Australia would work. I think at one stage we were looking at the UKs, and, another, you know, we never had OE, so we thought maybe we could go and do that, with, but it was always a bit hard with when you had a, a youngster involved. Yes, yeah. Um, I really stood my roots in Bay of Plenty as far as I still, you know, I, I love the South Island, but one thing I miss is a nice warm beach where you can go for a swim and yep. and just that warm, that side of it. I love the beach. Um, yep. Grew up with it my whole, you know, my early years. So Tauranga was appealing. And then it just happened when the person we had in the, looking after sort of the tax side of things up here um, had left and had been sitting vacant for a year. And so the opportunity arose, did they, was I keen to come up? Um, so they trialled it for a year where I just drove up um, every every week or two, do two or three days here in the office. So drive from Dunedin to, to, Queenstown. to Queenstown Yep. for the week and then drive back? Drive or? back or might do three days and stay two nights and then come back and then look after it remotely. So we were actually looking after... So how many years ago did that start? So that would have been about 2012. So about 2012. Eight, nine, yeah. Eight, nine years ago, yeah, when you say it like that. Um, and so we actually started... At that point, I was already looking after you know that side of it vastly, you know, vastly remotely. Mm. I think at the start, I was probably doing ten percent work at Queenstown, ninety percent Dunedin, yeah. and by the end of that year, it would shift to completely. I was, you know, I was flat out ninety, ninety-five percent, and there was we're only touching the iceberg of what could be done up here. And, and so it was presented to me that I want to want to move the family up, and um, we thought about it for well, I thought of it for about it for about five seconds, and she was pretty keen to go and. Um, I was, I'm always a bit longer, I need to analyse things a bit more, but, um, <laughs> as being males, but, um, and so, yeah, so we, we made the decision to move and it's just been a fantastic decision, um, you know, the kids have, you know, when you've got a son, he's about eight, I think, at the time, or t- yeah, something like that, and, you know, he thought his whole world was falling to bits, but now <laughs> he just looks back and thinks how wonderful opportunities he's had. Um, you know things like then go skiing in winter and during school time and things like that. You just you can't buy anywhere else. So yeah. Um, so yeah. So it's been yeah. That's really sort of the process. And since then has sort of grown from you know not a lot and and just the tax side of the practice and into something that's much more substantial now. Yeah. So Findex used to be known as Crow Hallworth. Um, yep. So when you first when you first was a crow off when you first did when you first moved here is that where you worked first or somewhere else yeah so it's a, I've actually worked for the same firm the whole way through, whole way I'm, through I'm actually yeah. uh, I'm definitely a, um, a bit, you know you look at other opportunities at times but you know I've always felt this to be the right cultural fit for me and yeah. so at the time I worked for a firm called Taylor McLaughlin which was um, you know Dunedin practice yeah. and up here we had two we had Cook Adam and we had Ward Wilson so quite long standing firms you know for example we have um, who still works in the firm Bruce Morris was the original accountant for Queenstown he's still still here yeah um and so various firms and like that and so they as part of the same time they actually all formed a combined accounting practice called WHK um which was also in Australia so a whole heap of regional offices between New Zealand and Australia Mm. came together Mm. as WHK so I started around that time around that time that sort of started to happen and after a few years and the sorting out who's how that was going to work and not um, they decided to um, be part of the Crow, the yeah. Crow brand, Crow Horth, which you know globally is I think it's the top ten yeah. as far as size. Yeah. Um, but we're very local Australia, yeah. Australasia. So we sort of have a lot of our our regional roots still exist, still part of a regional firm, but we're connected much wider. Um, and so and so then um, 
during this time there was a different changing and they were listed as a company in ASX um, and then they were bought out by a financial advisory practice known as Findex um, so which is short for financial index and so quite a reasonable financial firm in in Australia and they were really looking to offer a sort of a full circle suite of services for their clients so not just accounting not just financial advisory a whole range and so this was an opportunity for them to, to pull in the, the accounting the business advisory um, part of that and that became a very significant component for them and then when um, Crow was doing a rebrand a couple of years ago they were going to go from Crow Horth and going to drop the Horth and just become Crow okay. it became a decision as to whether as a firm we um, we do, did that mix of Crow for the for the accounting brand or whether we just did Findex and still had Crow affiliations and that's, that's what we ended up doing so that's how the name Findex came about, was through those processes. So we often get hassled a bit about how many name changes we have, and it's, they're fairly warranted, <laughs> to be fair, but mm. um, hopefully we'll set it on something that will hold for a bit longer than, um, than mm. some of the previous ones. Yeah, that's, that's a, a good, bit of a good history, I guess, about some of where you've sort of taken as far as, you know, who you, how you worked and who you worked for and how that sort of, that sort of happened. So... Um, I guess we'll probably stay on topic there a little bit with, um, I guess, with the, the clients that you sort of help now in Queenstown, let's sort of talk about some of the, I guess, typical examples of people that you probably help on a, on a day-to-day basis and uh, what sort of services they're sort of buying from, from Findex. Yeah, sure. So, um, so we're a general practice, so, you know, being a regional um, office, we have the most sort of offices regionally yeah. around New Zealand so we have you know we could mix around between you know in Southland a lot of agricultural fishing um, Nelson's is like a lot of fishing and and, um, and then you've also got um, other regions Hawke's Bay's got wineries as do we here yep. um, so uh, ranges but we specialise a lot depending on the region we're in for me personally, um, I do you know I do a lot of tax. Um, I obviously specialise in tax, but a lot of our clients are generally going to be involved with property. It's something I do a lot of work on. Um, so I spend a lot of time sort of advising on the tax rules of property, some of the GST implications, especially like the Airbnb was quite big for a number of years. So there became a lot of people who weren't normally into into the tax rules now had to think about it. Um, and then a lot a lot of part of it, and this is probably what I love the most in some respects at Queenstown is the versatility of the client base or the you know sort of the the variability even um you know we deal with a lot of international people but they're from everywhere you get them you know we've got clients in Hong Kong and Singapore Australia UK and US are quite common but then you'll get some from French Polynesia you'll get some from Dubai you'll get them from a whole range of places mm-hmm. and so having to deal with okay, how do we make this work not just in New Zealand but how we make this work overall for them mm-hmm. um and so that's probably a lot of the international stuff that we deal with as well. And so that works both at a personal level, people are looking to buy property, to businesses looking to structure themselves. Um, you know, there's been a lot of complications in that. So that's probably spent a vast majority of my time is advising on property tax issues and how we make that work. Um, and structuring is probably another key component. Um, right now we're doing a lot of structuring with the new Trust Act or people yeah. looking to succession. So how do I pass off, pass on my mm. business to the next generation or my assets? Mm. Um, that's a lot of work and has become more complicated where people are more based, and the children are often based overseas. So that becomes, that ranges a whole range yeah. of um, issues with that as well, trying to work out what's going to work from not just New Zealand but overseas. And that's really where I think the Findex relationships work well because we have... Um, direct colleagues in Australia, we can call in any of any region in Australia, mm. but also that Crow network where we can tap into Crow networks across the globe. So the other day I had something for someone in Japan, so I can get someone from Japan pretty quickly. 
UK and, and the rest. So, um, yeah, that sort of I side of it is quite good. That's a huge advantage, especially with what you do. So being able to tap into such a, a vast network, always, I guess, as a general practice, practice accountant um, in Australia, it's always, I mean, you've been able to find a few connections internationally, but every country, it's just in, for me, it's something that's never been really possible. So, yeah. But you would, you know, having that sort of uh, network, you would see that there wouldn't be t- there wouldn't there wouldn't be too many gaps. You'd have to worry about when trying to find somebody. Yeah, no, it's it's um, absolutely right. You know, I think I've asked if they have someone in France. I've never contacted anyone in France, but you know, we've got a database we can use and we can try yeah. and find the right industry or the yeah. right field. Um, and you flick an email away, and then all of a sudden you got a conversation. Often at the same time, not long after you sent the email. So, yeah, it's it's a huge advantage that way, um, particularly in a place like Queenstown where you just have so many international-based people. Yeah. Um, and so that really does work. And not everyone wants that. Some people want something, you know, they've had their account advice for many years, and that's great. We work with so many of our clients overseas are completely different firms, you know, whether it's yours or the other ones like that. And so mm. um, and they're also good to contact with us as well. So, yeah, but it's certainly an advantage. Yeah, um, and then, I mean, you were, t- you were touching on before about uh, the, the changes in the Trust Act, and I think um, I had a Rotary meeting more recently where um, a fellow came along and sort of, but he's a lawyer, sp- spoke a bit about the uh, some of those changes. But um, so that's that's quite interesting that they obviously have, you have to sort of that people here have to consider all these different things with their trusts and and so forth, and, and obviously from a tax point of view, I mean, trusts operate. You know, a bit quite a bit differently here than they do even in Australia. Um, in Australia, you know, your discretionary uh, trust model, which is the most common, every all the income is generally allocated amongst a beneficiary um, and taxed at the beneficiary level. And in in, in New Zealand, um, obviously that's different, isn't it? So yeah, so we we have this, this discretionary trust, but in many cases the income may not be distributed; it may be retained in the trust. Um, and I think that's probably mainly to the tax rate. So the tax rate for a trust is 33%, yeah. and it's not moving at this stage mm. with the new increase in tax rate to 39% for those earning 180 or more from 1 April. Um, and so, yeah, it's certainly taxed. We've, and we have, in New Zealand, we've had this absolute infatuation with trusts, with, especially in the 1990s and 2000s. Well, so same as us, we've had this infatuation. It's, you know, it's, it's great for asset protection generally, and it's... Mm flexibility when it comes to allocating income yeah, yeah and that and that's and they still hold true i think what's what seemed to happen a lot of is people thought that they could use it to um well they make here once so they should they should put in the trust and i think they didn't always fully understood the benefits of it and what these sort of trust act is making them do is say well the trust act overall is not a huge change to what's currently law yep. the biggest thing it sort of puts more into code that you know you now you need to notify beneficiaries that yeah, they are when they get right. the distribution or something. Yeah, and they, and they can even ask information about the trust, and that's really causing people to think. Actually, I don't want my kids or my beneficiaries to know that detail yet, and so it's sort of interesting to say, well, you know, that's it's obviously opening up where they should have the trust. Yeah. And I think often sometimes the easy solution is just to get rid of it, which I think is premature. I think people really need to think about it much more wider than that. And actually, can you handle that information dissemination in a mm. in a in a, in a good way without having to necessarily divulge everything um, and still, you know, there's still benefits for trust. But we're also finding with trust, some of the issues we're finding is how that handles cross-border. So like, for example, Australia and New Zealand don't, we're not that compatible sometimes because course, Australia seems to tax based on trustee, we tax based on set law, and so you can get these sort of um, 
inconsistencies that can sometimes help, but sometimes can hurt you. And I mean, one of the issues I'm dealing with right now is a client who's trying to leave wealth for their children, but they're in Australia, and so the tax issues with that, receiving distribution from that trust, um, is unfortunately not that clean and easy, and it's potentially quite punitive from a tax point of view, um, if not understood well. So um, it's certainly become quite a complicated area. I mean, that's obviously an issue, and I can see that probably be more of an issue as we sort of, uh, as the world sort of ticks by a bit, that we've got so many different countries in the world and people not always living in the same country. Um, it, it makes it, you know, it's a problem that it's, it's not, not always easy to solve as to, okay, how, you, how do you structure, you know, your estate or how do you structure your, um, the way you sort of do these things? Um, it's it becomes you know and then you get all these new laws coming in mm. um, like, like what's happening with you with, with here and also you know in New South Wales for example there's a there's a new sort of uh, thing coming in if a discretionary trust has property all of a sudden bang you've got to make sure that your discretionary trust has a specific clause in it to say there's no foreign beneficiaries otherwise there's mm. going to be a surcharge on the property yeah I heard about that <laughs> so um, so and then is that, is that going to be a problem in every state in Australia? Yeah. So then you've got to think a little bit, okay, well, how do I do my estate planning now Yeah. if, if, if there's going to be property somewhere? Yeah. You know, it's, it certainly makes it quite hard as a advisor when you've, like you say, you have to deal with not only your issues in your own country, mm. but children who could go anywhere. Yep. Um, you know, children that live anywhere. Yeah. yeah, and you can change state to state. And so certainly it's good from one level of advisory, but it actually makes it a bit of a challenge. And you sort of wonders, you know, we've, thinking probably bigger than this, how does the world as a whole think about taxation? Obviously, at the moment of COVID, they're all seeking for revenue. Estates seem like a reasonable place to go and target. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so does, you know, it really does open the doors, I think, a little bit about how people try and grab their fair share. And I think some of the cases you're talking about in, from an Australian point of view actually seem a little bit of an overreach in some cases. Especially, you know, if you've got any foreign beneficiary, but they may not benefit, for example, do they get a tax on something overseas? I don't know, but yeah, that's right. it certainly seems like um, we could see quite a interesting development from a political point of view on this issue, which is often the case with taxes as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's it's quite interesting. We're not sure we could probably talk about uh, taxes <laughs> all day, but um, yeah, so I mean, obviously coming to Queenstown um, seven years ago, around about, was it? Yeah, yeah, we're just ticking up to about eight. Yeah, yeah seven or eight, eight years. years ago. So you would have seen it change quite a bit in that time. I mean, uh, obviously, out near the airport way, they're pretty much vacant, just a bit of industry when you've got here. Yeah, it was a hole. So we um, the airport was pretty basic, and we had Remarks Park, and then um, being cricketers, we played in the event centre, yep. and right next to that is a, was a massive pit and a hole. <laughs> um, he knows hole, they called it. And now you look at it, and there's just... It just a mass of development in yep. Five Mile and Queenstown Central and just mm. that's I think I said earlier I sort of felt like we lucked into Queenstown at the right time because it wasn't really on the radar um, obviously property prices increased a lot in seven years that sort it of thing it did yeah I mean we, we, I mean, we kept moving here and we sold our Dunedin house which was a nice wee house um, I think we sold it for $220,000 and that barely covered a section which was half the size of the property we had in Dunedin um, but we did it and thank goodness we did um, to build that house because it got us in and allowed us to do it but you know there was just seeing that boom which seemed crazy at the time and it's half the price of what it was when we were here really and we first moved here and so it's just seeing that absolute um, it was just yeah I, just, I couldn't believe it it wasn't something I foresaw I just we saw an opportunity to come to Newtown and start start something 
and um, it's turned out to be yeah, just an amazing time frame of seeing this development at, at a pace I've never seen before. Um, and so, and it seems like we thought COVID might sort of subdue that a bit, which it has a little bit, but then you look around, there's still a lot of projects. And I think what businesses or owners of land are seeing is, yes, there's a lockdown, yes, there's a border closure, but actually that's a good time to do this stuff now, yeah. to invest that time now with little disruption. Um, on projects and um and so you know that's something we've I know a lot of people campaign for the council to do as well. You know, you've opportunity to invest in infrastructure, you've been asking for it. Mm. Now's the time. You know, you've yeah. got very low numbers compared to precarity, which we you know it hurts, you don't want that. Mm. But what opportunity you do have is that you've actually got opportunity to actually get invested in a lot in that time now. So when it is open again, hopefully things are in a, a better state rather than having a whole range of disruption to the future. So we're seeing that a bit. And hopefully we can future-proof some of those issues that we have had around congestion, et cetera, in the past. Mm. Um, but it's going to be very interesting to see how it sort of comes out of that. Yeah, obviously tourism businesses, obviously you, you would have seen a lot of those um, over the, in recent years. And, and obviously um, a lot of them seem to be, you know, a fair chunk of them may be struggling at the moment with, with what's happened in the last 12 months. Um, do you have many clients that are, I guess, tourism businesses yourself that you've sort of been dealing with um, fairly closely? Yeah, so a lot of the tourism and the hospitality are held by a lot of our BAS count, um, partners, and so we have a lot of interface with them and how do we help them. So, I mean, as from our side, we looked after a lot of the lost carryback, um, what yep. relief they can seek, um, what can we do in negotiation with the ID around tax breaks or obtain payment breaks, um, a lot of that sort of stuff. Because um, the reality is, you know, that... I think what we're even sort of grappling with and trying to understand is what's this town, not not Franklin, but the town of Queenstown itself, um, going to look like? You know, it's severely impacted from a, a hospitality um, and tourism base. You know, the, mm. we're talking in some places could be operating at fifteen percent of normal, yeah. Um, yeah. with rents that are still pretty high. So it's it's a really interesting period um, and dire period in many respects that we don't get that border open, but. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. And so, yeah, we're working with a lot of clients at the moment, and one of the things we can't do is we just can't magic up revenue. We just can't magic it up because you yeah. you need the people here. Yeah. So, um, certainly it's, banks don't look, you know, and certainly the banks will say, look, we can't lend you any money. Exactly, and they're, and they're probably having those discussions now saying, well, what we can lend you money, but is it going to put you in a better position, really? Mm. Um, I know some people are talking about hibernation, but a lot of them have leases, and those leases have to be paid, and yep. some of them will have personal guarantees or they'll yep. be able to do something else with those. So it's not an easy solution um, um, for those issues. Um, and so it's certainly a tough, very tough time for those in that in that space. I mean, our industry certainly um, been as busy as any other time trying to help clients um, in crisis, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're always pretty busy people as it is, and, you know, there's... I mean, one thing we didn't really speak about um, is that, uh, you know, a dominant focus of what we do or what I do um, as an accountant tax agent is all about compliance. It's, it's all about, um, you know, complying with, with, um, with our, you know, getting our clients to lodge their stuff on time, pay the right amount of, stay above the, you know, the game of, of how much they owe the tax office um, or the, IR, the IRD in this case. Um, so that's a big part of what we do, and this, I guess, with, when this sort of happens, it adds another layer of compliance that you've sort of got to deal with. You've got, you know, 
some payments coming from the government, how you allocate them, how they get eligible for them, JobKeeper and mm. similar payments you'd have here in, in New Zealand. So um, what do you think about, I guess, the government's approach to, um, to helping out the businesses generally in, in New Zealand? Yeah, it's a hard one because I think, they went, I mean, to their credit, they went early with the wage subsidy. Um, and I think there's different schools of thought. I mean, part of us are really worried about the level of debt that brings in. Um, yeah. But at the same time, it did have an impact. And I think it probably, you know, if you think about maybe previous issues with GSC, et cetera, it probably kept things going. But I think the long-term view of that or the outcome of that is yet to play out. Um, I think at this stage they've seemed to have drawn the line. I know, you know, this week, you know, um, our mayor has been pushing hard for a localised bailout of some description, um, which has been declined. And so Mm -hmm. the question really is, is is it do you let these businesses fall over um, if they can't hibernate? Is that really the acceptable outcome, which is kind of another analysis you're doing with the COVID vaccine itself and lockdowns? Are you trading one for the other? And choosing to try and choose the best path forward. Um, so on the whole, am, am I satisfied with what they've done? I'm I'm going to sit on the fence a bit on that because I think it's going to come out. Um, I do think that it has the the waste subsidy was it had a, it, it went to a lot of people it shouldn't have, and thankfully a lot of those have paid some of that back. And I hope more and more and do because um, there's certainly many that needed it and didn't get it, didn't get it, or didn't qualify for yeah. it or something. And I think. Yeah. Um, those who clearly need it. And that's sort of the things when people ask, am I, am I ready? Do it? Can I qualify for this? My first question to them wasn't, do you qualify? Is do you need it? Because that's really how it should have been allocated. Um, and now I think it was too loose in that respect. And I think in their rush to get it out, I don't think they've thought about all that that easily. Um, and so and they've never been through this before. Um, and it sounds like they've decided that maybe that, that, that fund is now really turned off for there's no, not going to be a localised payment out and so I suppose the question really is those businesses will not have that much runway left I don't think Mm. Um, and so we'll have to see more layoffs and so that has to be what the government is accepting as being acceptable Mm. because that's the only other outcome that's really going to arise. Mm. So as as we sort of sit here now it's pretty hard to predict the future of Queenstown I mean I think uh, you've got to look on the bright side of things a little bit it's got to be a time in a time where things things are you know back not I don't know if back to normal but back to better mm-hmm. than what they are right now. Um, There's obviously that's something that's very important uh, you know in, in order to get confidence back in <coughs> you know in uh, people coming here as well um, that they need to need to see something that's that's going to be there and, and survive. Um, but, but beyond that, what do you, I mean I don't know can you look too far into the future these days? I mean. What do you see the future of Queenstown saying? What do you think Queenstown's going to be in 10 years' time, if, if, if you were to hazard a guess? Or, or Yeah, exactly. I mean, the growth projections are pretty ridiculous earlier, um, and the house prices at the moment seem to suggest that it will continue to be a very popular place for people to live. Um, yeah. The I think the fear beforehand is it was feeling a bit overrun with a lot of, you know, look, you look at Queenstown now, a lot of the locals have moved to Frankton, um, yes. the town itself is very much domestic, is very much targeted I think more towards international but largely the, yeah. a lot of the tourists and there's some of them have to be here which is great um, and you've got your restaurants here but then a lot of these sort of tour companies and the very pop up and they're filling holes and a lot of them are big brand clothing or retail mm. um, you know a lot of the old I mean I'm talking to someone like Duncan who's been here many years um, our managing partner here and you know, a lot of the more bespoken individual businesses is really falling out and so I think 
the fear that I sort of worry about, and something I've actually felt when I first moved here, is the depth of the of the, you know the culture. What is Queenstown? And I think that's something that could really be sort of uncovered a bit more. Um, I felt like as a family coming here, there wasn't. And what would we do with our kids on a rainy day? There didn't seem to be something like if we were in Dunedin, you'd have half a dozen options to go and do that day. Whereas sort of out here, we didn't quite have that same level of of base. And I think one thing would be really good to see is sort of Queenstown build a bit more depth about its about its people who live here. And I hopefully see as more people, more people come here, that hopefully that will happen. Um, certainly, great people. I'm not saying not great people here. I'm not saying anything like that. But I think it's just that. Because it's so transient and it's going to be really hard for people to make those connections, um, and so people might only be for three or four months. So you're not going to invest too much time because they're going to go again. I think there's becoming more and more of a of a core base, and I think it'd be really cool to see that develop into a really strong community base. You know, we don't even have um, a great indoor community facilities. I don't think we have enough of them. I don't think we have anywhere near enough. And I think the council needs to look into that. And we, I know, I pushed that hard from a from a cricketing perspective. You know, would love to have some sort of indoor training facilities or something like that. But it's just to give that sense of there's a bit more here than just just the the touristy side of it. And I think it's probably COVID's probably un, unveiled a little bit yeah, that we yeah. need to be a bit more uh, variable in what we offer. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, Queenstown is is the beauty that it is, and it hasn't changed. And so I think yeah. that will remain. Mm. Um, and I fully expect that tourists will still want to come back here. Um, I think New Zealand offers a pretty safe place to be. Um, and I think you know, for example, Australians love Queenstown. I don't imagine they will not enough of them will be scared away that that they will all come back. Well, there's you know, so many people, there's so many people in Australia that just hear of how good Queenstown is and still haven't come here. That's yeah, that's the crazy thing, and they they want to get here at some point. You know, when they talk to their friends that have been here, <laughs> it's it's a bit of that. Um, it, I mean, from what I've seen of Queenstown of any since September, um, it has the makings of being a, a, a small town as far as everyone knowing everybody. You get that sort of feeling that everyone does seem to sort of know everybody here. Um, to a point, I think you know, I, you know everyone in your circle. I think, yeah, um, yeah. and I think so. Um, I think that happens well, and I think in the communities in which you live. So we live out of Lake Hayes Estate at the moment, and yep. it's a great place for our kids to grow up um, because, you know, my daughter can walk and bike to see her friends, and that sort of creates its own community, and so I definitely am seeing that. Um, but you walk, often used to walk down the street, and you'd be surprised if you saw a Kiwi. That was just seen to be the way downtown yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Um, but now, you know, if I go into town to go to the supermarket, I'd expect to see two or three people I know. Yeah, um, exactly. Uh, I'd be surprised if I didn't sort of thing. So, yeah, I think you do. There is a community here, and that's the great thing that we're really seeing more and more as we've been here sort of eight years now. Um, and hopefully we can keep building that and make it um, um, even stronger and, I think, deeper. Okay, I think we'll have to f- finish it up very shortly there. Uh, Daniel, you see anything sort of final that you sort of wanted to, I guess, say on the podcast? Anything, anything final to the listeners um, of this podcast? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I haven't thought about it. Um, no, I think it, I mean I, I think it's just great that we've um, someone like yourself to come here and and start something that we've sort of different. And that's what I think I've liked about Queenstown is that it's um, it brings in a whole different people from a different perspective, and that's what I've enjoyed the most. It's the challenging of your of your thinking or the way you've done things. And that's yeah. certainly probably the best thing I've noticed in my own life is yeah. coming from Dunedin to this. And so. Um, well done to you and, and um, yeah, I hope no, we'd like to see this grow for you no, thanks for all your support so far it's been great thanks for being a guest on the podcast so we've done 12 episodes now it's, um, we'll get it uh, up probably I suppose it's Friday we'll try to get it up there today somewhere you can share it amongst and get everyone to listen to it awesome. um, but yeah it's been pretty good uh, as I said the last podcast with Graham Todd um, very very happy <laughs> with uh, how that's sort of been shared around so uh, thanks very much uh, have a great weekend we'll catch up soon excellent thanks Tim cheers
No worries.